Coming up on the Rami V podcast, the Knicks winning streak ends at eight, but all it took was 52 points from Pascal Siakam. In the loss, the Knicks did overcome multiple double-digit deficits. It was also the second of a back-to-back, and they were missing Quentin Grimes. I was in the building for the first of the back-to-back as the Knicks blew out the Warriors on Tuesday night. My takeaways from seeing the Knicks in person for the first time this season. Also, I have 10 takeaways from Week 15 in the NFL. And of course, I talked about the most recent Jets' devastating loss, this time to the Lions. They have a huge... Huge game tonight on Thursday Night Football against the Jaguars. A career-defining game potentially for Zach Wilson, or do I think his career has already been defined? Also, the Mets went out and signed Carlos Correa just for the hell of it, while the Yankees announced that they are going to be sticking with Josh Donaldson at third base. Did I like that? All that and more coming up next on the Rami V Podcast. Stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours plus you can exchange unlimited text messages and everything you share is completely confidential so i talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything one of the things that i learned in therapy was that join the two million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced better help therapist get 10 percent off your first month at betterhelp.com slash rami that's my first name that's betterhelp b-e-t-t-e-r H-E-L-P dot com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description, in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami Lavi podcast, episode 122. It's brought to you by BetterHelp. As always, use my name, R-A-M-I, at checkout for 10% off your first month of online therapy. Um, I did a little Jets therapy on last episode. Boy, did that not work. But we'll get to the Jets a little bit later. First, I uh, wanted to talk about, and if you're listening to this, it's probably Thursday. Um, so I will preview the Jets game that's coming up tonight, Thursday Night Football. I was at multiple sporting events this week, so we could do a little talking at the beginning of these episodes, not jump right into the sports, but I I do have a lot to talk about. I didn't record yet this week, so I'm probably going to do a Friday episode picking all the games also, but let's talk about this. I was at Sunday Night Football. I got to see Washington against the Giants, so we'll talk about that. I was also at the Knicks game last night. As I'm recording this, that's Tuesday night, so for those keeping score at home, the Knicks beat the Warriors, I think by 38 points. I think it was 134 or 132 to 94. Um, yeah, a pretty compelling victory, and I have a whole bunch of takeaways 
from the next game uh, on Tuesday night, and we'll see what they do here uh, tonight coming up at the Garden. Second of a back-to-back without Quentin Grimes, who I think he tweaked his ankle on a play um, where he was fouled, a flagrant foul, shooting a three-pointer um, against the Warriors. So, yeah. Um, w- w- he played the rest of the game. He played more minutes than anyone else in the game, played 32 minutes. So hopefully it's just a little extra maintenance. Hopefully he'll be ready to go for Friday night at home against the Bulls. And then Sunday is the Christmas day game for the Knicks. So we'll see what they do tonight against Toronto at the Garden. Um, that's that's first. Um, I had some takeaways, and we'll get to everything else in this episode. So I'm going to talk about the Knicks and what they've done recently because they've won eight in a row going into the game against Toronto. And by the time you listen to this, you'll probably know what happened in the game in Toronto. But eight in a row going into that game against Toronto. So it's either nine in a row or it's eight of their last nine. Either way, still pretty good since that blowout loss to Dallas. Um, I wanted to talk about the Mets situation. And that was crazy. I was actually, I had basically gotten home uh, about an hour and a half prior to that. um, But I was still up kind of winding down from my evening and drive home from New York. And I saw the Mets news as they get Carlos Correa. I want to talk about that. Uh, I also want to talk about the Jets, obviously, because we're going to preview the Jets game. We're going to talk about the game against the Lions and everything that's transpired. Zach Wilson, that whole situation. Robert Salah. There's a lot to talk about there. Um, So I'm going to get to all that. But I want to start like we do in football season. We talk about football mostly. I'm not going to recap every game. But I'm going to start with 10 takeaways from week 15 in the NFL. Um, And so I'm going to start them now with my 10 takeaways. I'm going to go in chronological order. Number one, my first takeaway from this week in the NFL was Thursday night. Has there ever been a quarterback to get more praise for putting up 21 points? Brock Purdy put up 21 points in the game against the Seattle Seahawks defense on Thursday night football. And we're crowning him the greatest quarterback. He's going to win the Super Bowl. San Francisco did not take a step back at all. Now, they do win 21-13. He goes 17 of 26 with two touchdowns, zero picks, 217 yards passing. The kid looked incredible, and he's looked incredible since he's taken over in this offense. And so the credit doesn't come from putting up 21 points. The credit comes from you're Mr. Irrelevant. You're a seventh-round pick. And now you're putting up these kind of numbers, replacing a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, who has looked fantastic in this offense. Now, what is this offense with Jimmy Garoppolo versus what it is with Brock Purdy. I think it's fair to say that it's probably still better with Garoppolo, but is this offense so good? Is it just so simple? Is it so not reliant on a quarterback? Is it just so dependent on Kyle Shanahan and him calling all the plays and has nothing to do? You could plug and play any quarterback in there who's just decent. I bet Zach Wilson couldn't succeed in this offense because he can't do the little things. Any quarterback who can do the basic things, the small things, that's all it requires to be in this offense. And I guess the answer is yes. Can you win a Super Bowl with him? This team behind this defense, and this is starting to look like an all-time great defense, that might be what carries them, and they have enough skill position players. We talk about it all the time with Debo, with Ayuk, with Kittle, who was incredible on Thursday night. You talk about it with Christian McCaffrey, who was great on Thursday night as well. With those guys, you don't really have to have a quarterback do too much. But Jimmy Garoppolo has won his entire career. He's won everywhere he's went. So, like... The same way we talked about Jared Goff not being the quarterback or the man with Sean McVay, and then he goes to Detroit and is having a career year in Detroit without Sean McVay with a head coach who's not a defensive or an offensive-minded, rather, head coach in Dan Campbell. So what's happening uh, for the 49ers right now? Is it that they can just win with whoever they plug in? But also we know what happens when you have these systems that you run. The second they see something that maybe they haven't seen All of a sudden, it falls apart for them, and it happened with Sean McVay in the Super Bowl with Jared Goff, and then he was like, wait, shoot, I'm smart. I trust myself. I trust this offense can run with anyone. 
but we couldn't do it in the Super Bowl. The Patriots blew us out. Like, they couldn't do anything. They put up three points in the Super Bowl. We've seen it time and time again in the playoffs. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo has gone far in the playoffs with the 49ers, but they've never gotten over the hump. And they were a few plays away from beating the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, but they just didn't have the quarterback who could make that one big third down throw to convert a first down to end the game, to ice the game. They didn't have that. So the question for all these offenses, and I kind of throw Mike McDaniels and Tua Tungavailoa into that category, is that the same thing? Is that going to be the same thing where maybe he's so smart and he's so capable as an offensive mind, and that's McDaniel, of course, that he can take you to a Super Bowl, he could take you to a playoffs, but you're just never going to get over the hump unless you have that quarterback who can make those throws. I'm not sure what the answer is, but the question on the other side is, does it then matter if it's all the system? Does it matter who the quarterback is? Does it matter that it's Jimmy Garoppolo versus Brock Purdy? And I'm not sure what the answer to that question is, but I'd like to find out this postseason. Number two, and staying in chronological order, this was on Saturday, the first game. I feel bad for Matt Ryan. I've heard him talk on podcasts and other places about how he still hears 28 to 3. Wherever he goes, people will say, hey, 28 to 3, ha ha ha, Super Bowl 28 to 3. He knows he had to make a couple of throws and they win that game. He knows he doesn't take a sack, they kick a field goal, they win that game. A lot of different things could have happened for Matt Ryan in that game. But now he doesn't have to hear about it anymore, right? Because now he doesn't have 28 to 3 to worry about anymore he has 33 to nothing uh that's not great so he's going to get benched again you can obviously blame jeff saturday maybe any other football coach would have known how to maneuver a 33 point lead at the half or i guess a 33 point lead in the game better than jeff saturday did but now matt ryan benched a second time this season this might be the end of his career for all i know we get to see big nick Foles play for the Indianapolis Colts, which I'm not upset about, that definitely makes their games a little bit more compelling, despite the fact that they are a really trash team. On the other side of this, does Minnesota suck more? Like, are they more frauds or less frauds now because of this game? Like, you're kind of frauds. You were down 33-0, and all the memes going around when they were down 33-0, you were down 33-0 to a terrible Indianapolis team, and a team that proved that they're terrible by blowing a 33-point lead. So do you look at them and say, oh, you're major frauds for that? Or is it the opposite? Do you say, well, they came back from a 33-point deficit, the largest comeback in NFL history. How could they possibly be frauds? Another question I'm not sure we know the answer to, but we'll definitely find out as we head towards the postseason. The NFC postseason might get interesting. Also on Saturday, I feel like this hasn't gotten a ton of public attention. If you're not in Baltimore, if you're not living in Baltimore, maybe you didn't see this, but the Baltimore Ravens play the all-time most boring game in the NFL history, obviously. On Saturday, they lose. I think they put up three total points. And then after the game, Tyus Bowser posts on his Instagram story a video of a bunch of pieces of paper in the Baltimore facility or right outside the Baltimore facility that say, fire Greg Roman, who is the offensive coordinator. Now, I feel like a player posting a video of of pieces of paper, he probably didn't put those papers there, but he posted it. He made it public um, on social media saying to fire the offensive coordinator, I feel like that should get more national attention than it's gotten. I don't know that it hasn't gotten the attention, but I know it's been all that's talked about this week in Baltimore. Now, I don't think they're firing Greg Roman tomorrow, but to hear Baltimore Raven fans talk about how they want to fire Greg Roman, how they want to fire John Harbaugh, what are we doing? And they also talk about it just trade Lamar. You can't win with him. He's hurt. You're seeing what life without Lamar looks like. The only reason they're even relevant, they have nine wins, is because of Lamar in large part. Like, Tyler Huntley is not good. He had a couple of games last year. He won a game against the Bears, which the Bears aren't very good, and that's all he did. And we're seeing now that he's not very good. He's coming into these games, and he doesn't play well because he's not a good quarterback. 
and yet still Raven fans are like, fire Greg Roman, fire Harbaugh, trade Lamar, blow it all up. Here's the thing about Ravens fans. Here's why you don't know what life without a bad quarterback or without a great quarterback and without a great head coach is like. Because every time the Ravens are irrelevant, you turn it off. You stop watching. It's not a real fan base. They don't care when the team's not good. So you don't know what it's like when the team's really bad. And guess what? Because of that, you have this ignorant take about wanting to trade an all-time athlete in Lamar Jackson and wanting to fire a great head coach in John Harbaugh. Number four, Miami is back. That's my biggest takeaway from that game, the Miami-Buffalo game. Everyone talked about how poorly Miami looked the last couple weeks. Well, they looked every bit as good. They made up for it against Buffalo. Buffalo did what they wanted to do. They stuffed the middle of the field, forced Tua to throw it to the outside, and Tua responded by putting up 29 points and looked really good in that game. The Bills in that game also look beatable. Like, that was what I noticed from that game. They were very reliant on the big superhero Josh Allen plays. The thing is about the superhero Josh Allen plays and being reliant on it, he gets them when he needs them. It's I've never seen anything like it. They're so reliant on him making an incredible run, making an incredible throw, doing something that we don't see on a regular basis, and yet still they win games because he's always doing that. So incredible job by Josh Allen. Like Credit to Josh Allen for always making those plays, for always doing that, and always coming through for them. But at the same time, I don't think that's a sustainable way to win. But who knows? We've never seen it, but this guy is an absolute superhero, and if he can do that in the playoffs... That's really impressive. Like I said on the other side of it, I was impressed by Miami, by how they played the game more than I was impressed by the Bills. Overall, though, that was such a fun football game. Two teams that are clearly really good. Two teams in the snow, in that weather, with the fans, the throwing the snowballs. I thought it was awesome. A lot of people pointed out that if it wasn't uh, Bills fans, people wouldn't think it's as awesome. I don't care. I think it's awesome. I loved it. Real football just felt like football that game. And so, uh, like I said, I'm more impressed from the loss that Miami had than impressed by the Bills win. Number five, I picked the Jacksonville money line on my podcast. I told you I thought they could win and I picked Jacksonville to cover and they win and cover. And when they were down 21 to seven at the half, I wrote in my notes for the podcast, I wrote Dak Prescott is playing like crap. Now, I didn't write that as a joke or as anything. Dak Prescott was up 21-7, and he was missing throws left and right. He's missing receivers. Guys were dropping interceptions. He had wide-open receivers, and he was not making the plays necessary to win the football game. This team is underperforming. This Dallas team, this is what happens every year. They, they get your hopes up. They blow out some bad teams. They overachieve. They have some crazy wins, and then they start to falter. They start to fall apart. Well, this year it's as talented as they've looked as a football team, and yet they are as fraudulent as I think they've ever been. And the reason is because Dak Prescott is a fraud. Number six, the Philly situation. I don't know how hurt Hurts is. I don't think anyone knows the answer to that. There was a report going around that's a collarbone, broken collarbone maybe. Other people are just saying it's a shoulder or a sprain. No one's really sure. Looks like he's not going to start. And I trust the Vegas odds more than anything. And the odds took a wild shift. He was minus 125 to win MVP. He's plus 550 now. And Vegas wouldn't be giving out money like that if they thought he was really healthy. So they probably think he's going to miss at least a game or two. Now, maybe he's just missing a couple of games and he'll be ready for the playoffs and they don't really need to play for anything anymore. They'll probably lock up the number one seed with Gardner Minshew. But is anyone getting, and by the way, I do play Jalen Hurts in both of my fantasy playoff games this week. I know no one cares, but it's kind of funny. I play in the two leagues that I'm in. I play Jalen Hurts in both of those fantasy playoff games. He's hurt, so I don't mind. But doesn't it remind you of another Phillies team? Carson Wentz was the MVP. The team, I think they had one loss at that point also. 
And then what happens? He gets hurt, and Big Dick Nick, who happens to be playing this week for Indianapolis, comes in, and he leads the team to a Super Bowl and wins a Super Bowl. There was an incredibly talented team around Carson Wentz. It's the same thing here. This team is so talented and so good. A lot of people talked about how, oh, it's not really Jalen Hurts. He's not doing that much. The team would be great without him. Well, now we'll get to see the answer. Gardner Minshew has some talent. Can he come in and do what Jalen Hurts was doing with his team? I don't expect him to be as good as Jalen Hurts, but I expect him to actually do some damage with this really talented Philly team. Number seven, the play at the end of the New England Patriots game only happens for the Pats, never to the Pats. And that's why this is so weird to me. The Raiders were about to lose their fifth game where they had a double-digit lead-in this season. They've blown five games that they had a double-digit lead-in and lost them this season. This was going to be the fifth. And yet they get a touchdown on a bad call by the refs. The foot was clearly out of bounds. They get a touchdown on a bad call by the refs. And then the craziest play, the play that usually it's the Raiders who are the ones making that play. And this time it's the Patriots making that play of all teams, a Bill Belichick coach team against Josh McDaniels. He's the one making that play. I mean, if there's ever a way that the crazy Patriots era of just winning the dynasty finally ends, that would be the play that puts it to an end. Against the team that probably started the entire dynasty with the tuck rule game, obviously the Raiders, this type of play, that would be the play that ends it. Now, I'm still skeptical. I still think the Patriots could come back and make the playoffs this year. But with everything we've seen from the Patriots this year, the way that offense has looked, with the way the team as a whole has looked, it's just not Belichickian. Is this what finally puts the nail in the coffin and ends what has been just an awful dynasty in my lifetime for the New England Patriots? Also, side point on this. That play was worse than the butt fumble in a lot of ways, in my opinion, and yet it's not going to get the coverage like the butt fumble. The butt fumble was in a blowout, random, in the middle of a game. Yes, it's a fumble return for a touchdown, and it's bad, but this play, I mean, you had the lead, you go to halftime tied, or you go to overtime tied, I should say, and instead you blow the game on that play. It's worse than the fumble, although people won't talk about it that way. Number eight. From Bill to Tom, and prior to Sunday's game, Tom Brady-led teams were 159-3 and overall when leading by 17 points at any moment in the game, and they were 89-0 and at home. Again, that's 159-3 and overall, and they were 89-0 and undefeated at home when leading by 17 points in any point in a game. Well, no longer. Joe Burrow, was that the passing of the torch moment? Joe Burrow comes back, beats Brady. And it wasn't even like he beat Brady. He crushed Brady the rest of that game. Got rid of that lead so quickly and demolished the Bucks on Sunday. A great job by Joe Burrow, and that is the number one trending team. Now he has a chance to go to Foxborough and beat Bill. He gets to beat Tom and Brill back-to-back in the NFL. Number nine. Sunday Night Football, I was there, and I had a few takeaways from the game on Sunday Night Football. Daniel Jones. I had never seen him play in person, but Daniel Jones played extremely well on Sunday. His ability to stand in the pocket and take hits and while the pressure's in his face and deliver balls on target in tight windows was incredible. His arm strength was talented. It was a freezing game. It was not great weather to play in. His ability to maneuver, to move his feet in the pocket and 
avoid the rush. My mother, who was at the game with me, kept saying to me, uh, and my parents, both my parents were there, but my mother kept saying to me, she's like, he has so much time, he has all day. And I'm like, no, he's he's maneuvering the pocket, he's moving his feet, he's sliding in the pocket to buy himself more time. Sometimes he's rolling out of the pocket to throw, but most of the time he was just moving around in the pocket and changing the pocket a little bit so that he can throw. The offensive line, Andrew Thomas in particular, did play extremely well. And Daniel Jones picking his spots, knowing when it's time to take off to run. He's an incredibly gifted running quarterback. And him picking his spots and being able to run, he made those big throws when they needed to pick up third downs. He was able to deliver strikes to in tight windows with pressure in his face and getting knocked to the ground and deliver some big throws. I was extremely impressed from what I saw from Daniel Jones. It's the first time I've seen him play in person. I know this wasn't the quarterback that he was a couple years ago. And I know he did almost fumble, got overturned, right? He went to review and turned out he was down by contact, but he didn't fumble. That was his issue. He didn't fumble. He didn't throw an interception. And he looked really good in this game against Washington. Also, I've heard this, so I'm just going to throw it out there. NFL owners who are apparently paranoid always about officiating do believe that the league was out to get Dan Snyder because they're trying to send a message to him. And so the referee literally telling Terry McLaurin that he's good and then throwing the flag on him as he's reaching for the flag, he gives Terry the heads up and then he throws the flag. And also uh, the referee not calling the end of that game, not calling a guy literally getting hugged in the end zone. I understand that's the type of thing where that's good coaching. Brian Dable, that's great coaching. You're going to tell your players, you're going to say, hey, Go hug them. Make them make a call. Make the referee make a call at this point of the game. I bet they won't. And, well, he was right. And Brian Dable, by the way, his scheme on offense, I got to see it for for the first time in person also. The different seals that he runs on the runs plays, there were most plays. Saquon Barkley was not getting touched before he got to the second and third level because of how smart and how well the design runs were, whether you're pulling a guard, whether you're pulling a tight end or ceiling. There were so many great, really well-designed runs for Saquon Barkley in that game, and I was really impressed by Brian Dable and Daniel Jones. And number 10, the Packers looked great on Monday Night Football. Aaron Rodgers yelling at teammates, calling them out in the postgame. I love Aaron Rodgers. Everyone knows how much I love Aaron Rodgers. And I love to see him yelling at Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson next season. We'll get to that a little bit later. We'll talk about that in the offseason. But here's the thing. Do not allow me, and I'm talking to myself, do not allow me to talk myself back into the Packers. Remember how bad the Rams are. The Rams have been awful this year. And by the way, Matthew Stafford said he's going to continue to play beyond this season on his wife's podcast good investigative reporting by his wife to get that answer out of him. I guess they hadn't discussed it prior to the podcast. But again, and I'm talking to me, do not talk yourself into Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. They look good, but they looked really good against two against the Rams. They'd have to go undefeated the rest of the way to make the playoffs. They have the Dolphins, the Vikings, and the Lions. Wouldn't it be classic if they beat the Dolphins? Because why not? They beat the Vikings, their rival, the Vikings, who they're all talking about what a great season, what a fun season they're having. It's in Lambeau. And then the last game of the year for a playoff spot with a playoff spot on the line, they get to play the Lions and they get to play that game and they beat the Lions. It would be typical for the Packers to run the table and actually make the playoffs. It would be typical of Aaron Rodgers. But again, do not let yourself. I just don't let me talk myself back into the Packers because I finally gave up on them. This is not what I need right now. Also, that game all felt right with the world. Monday Night Football, you had Joe and Troy on the call, and they were in Green Bay in Lambeau. I mean, it felt like last year. It felt like Fox was back. All you needed was Rodgers to hit on Aaron Andrews after the game instead of calling out Christian Watson. I'll give you a bonus one, number 11. 
There were two games that I did not watch a single minute of this week in the NFL, and I have zero regrets. That was New Orleans against Atlanta and Denver against Arizona. All right, to my Jets. When I saw that Zach Wilson was starting, um, as you heard on the podcast, I was extremely confident on Thursday night that the Jets would beat Detroit. And then when I heard that Zach Wilson was starting, that confidence faded. And I almost watched this game in a way like, you know how you watch a game sometimes? I, I, maybe you don't know, but if you're a Jets fan, you know how Like I watched games last year or two years ago where I was just like, I know they're going to lose, but I'll, I'll watch. Like, I was certain they would lose. I wasn't into it. I wasn't invested in it. I wasn't upset when they lost. Like, it was so frustrating because they made it so frustrating. I talked also about how um, Dan Campbell will probably blow the game with his coaching. And no, it was the opposite. It was Robert Sala not calling timeouts at the end of the game. Hey, you got an extra timeout you could take with you home. (laughs) No, that's not how it works, right? Him not calling timeouts, his mismanagement of the clock, and he took ownership of it after the game. And it's just, I mean, I've seen enough of Robert Sala, and Sala, I like, I like him, but his clock management has been awful all season, both at the end of halves and at the end of games, and it continued on Sunday. That was just disgraceful. That was terrible. And Zach Wilson makes three eye-popping plays a game that make everyone just lose their mind, and he puts everyone in a trance with these stupid plays. I don't understand it. I cannot understand how there is a fan who has watched the first 21 games of Zach Wilson's career who can say, yeah, this kid's going to make it in this league. If you want to tell me he has all the talent in the world and if he can harness that talent and turn it into something, great, sure, maybe. We don't know that. But in 21 games, he can't do the most simple of simple things. We talked about Brock Purdy earlier. We talked about what he was able to do on the football field. Zach Wilson might be the only only quarterback in the NFL who wouldn't work in the Kyle Shanahan offense. The Kyle Shanahan offense requires you to make the simple look easy. Remember when Robert Sala said that about Mike White a couple weeks ago? where he just said he makes the easy look easy. And we mentioned at the time that that's kind of taking a shot at Zach. Yeah, well, Zach had three weeks away. He had time to work on it, and he still makes the easy look incredibly hard. And I don't care. You can't blame coaching. You can't blame anything other than Zach because there's something for some guys. It just doesn't click in their head. And we saw it. It started to click with Trevor Lawrence, who the Jets are going to see on Thursday night. It doesn't click. It hasn't clicked for Zach Wilson and right now the Jets are seven and seven and they essentially have to go undefeated to make the playoffs and I don't care how well Zach Wilson plays against the Jacksonville Jaguars who stink the Jets defense should come out and play extremely well against the Jags but I don't care how well Zach Wilson plays in that game you have to go back to Mike White when you go to Seattle because Zach Wilson is not the answer and he has to be done he has to be off this roster this is the mistake the Jets made with Geno it's a mistake they made with Sam Darnold, waiting too long when we already knew they weren't the guy. We talked about it with Sam Darnold. They didn't draft a quarterback in the draft class that had Justin Herbert, that had Tua Tungavailoa, that had Joe Burrow. They didn't take a quarterback because like, well, maybe Sam's the guy. Let's do one more year of Sam Darnold. And Sam Darnold did a whole hell of a lot more than Zach Wilson in his first two seasons to prove that maybe he is the guy. Zach Wilson has not shown any of the signs, not nearly the signs. He's still showing that one throw that he made in his pro day, that's the same play that he can make in the NFL. That's the only play he can make in the NFL. He he can't throw a screen pass. He can't throw a basic ball over the middle. There were guys open all day against the Lions. The Lions are not a very good football team. I finally got to see them, watch every snap. They're not very good. It's just that Zach Wilson is worse. And 
You could talk about the end of the game. You could talk about the Jets defense giving up the fourth and inches and giving up the touchdown to tie the game or to take the lead for the Lions. You could talk about missing the field goal on the last play of the game. You could talk about Elijah Moore taking a couple steps back. They would have had a much closer field goal. All those things are true. But you wouldn't have been in any of those situations if Zach Wilson isn't your starting quarterback. I've never seen 300 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks look worse. We're talking about how 217 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks looked so good for Brock Purdy. I've never seen 200 yards or 300 yards and two touchdowns and no picks look worse than what Zach Wilson made it look like on Sunday. Enough. He's so bad. Now, the Jets also need to force turnovers. The Jets' defense, if they want to beat Jacksonville, they have to figure out a way to turn tur- force turnovers. That's the bottom line. Jacksonville is really good. Trevor Lawrence has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL over the last few weeks. But they haven't had to face a defense like this Jets' defense, which is really good still. They do give up. For some reason, they give up that one big drive a game. But they're still a really good defense, and they're expected to hopefully get Quinn and Williams back. He hasn't have to face corners like Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, who are really good. So... I do expect that the Jets will play really well, at least on the defensive side. And they miss Quinnen. I I do think they miss Quinnen a lot. So I think that will be a huge bonus for the Jets. But they have to have a quarterback who can just make the basic things. And you're playing against another bad defense, another defense that was really bad against Dallas. Dak Prescott was worse. But the Jags' defense was really bad. And this is a very winnable game for Zach Wilson. But there's two things. A, he can't screw it up. That's the number one thing. You can't screw up this game. But the second thing is, even if he doesn't screw it up, even if you do win this game, you cannot start him. The Jets are favored still. As of right now, they're favored at home. The over-under is 37.5. Still ride the under. I'll take the Jets minus 1.5 in the under. Every time I take the Jets, they lose. But I do think they could actually beat the Jags. I really think they can. But everything I saw in that game tells me they can't. Everything I saw on Sunday, whether it's Salah's coaching and the way Zach Wilson played, enough is enough. It's time for the Jets to move on. What's the point in waiting? That's my preview. That's my recap. I have nothing else to say. I'm, I'm, there's a lot to say. There's a lot to break down. I don't know. I just, I've been talking about it all week to friends and, and everyone and hearing it on the radio all week. That's it. It's so stupid. He's not the guy. Just move on. I don't know. I, I Enough is enough. And it's time to... I don't know who the quarterback's going to be next year. Maybe Mike White is injury prone. We've seen him get hurt now. He's only played, what, six games in his career? And he's been hurt three, four times? He's had to leave games with injuries? Maybe he's injury prone. Those hits were vicious hits, so I'm not blaming him. But this team is ready to win. This team has the receivers. This team has the offensive line. They're hurt now. It hasn't been good the last couple of weeks, but this team has the offense. This team has the running back, especially with Breeze coming back next year, and they have the defense. They have such a young, good defense with Quinnen, Sauce, Reed, all those guys. This team is good enough to win, and the guy who's holding them back is a guy who can do some of the most spectacular things I've ever seen on a football field, but can't do the most simple things, and that's the problem with the Jets right now. And those problems are not going to change. They haven't changed for 21 games. Why would they change now? So I'm still rooting as hell for Zach Wilson. I hope he is the guy because that guy is special. That guy has a special talent, but I just don't see it with him. I, it's impossible to see it with him. And uh, if unless I don't know what can change in the next three games. I hope he doesn't start all three games because if they win on Sunday or Thursday night, I should say, if they win and he's not the reason they won, then they should definitely go back to Mike White. And then... 
hopefully they can win their next two games after that. But we may never see or really get the answer that we want on Zach Wilson, but I think we all know that we have the answer already on Zach Wilson. And this offseason, it's time to make a change. I'm not all negative. I want to talk about something positive, and that's the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks, I got to see them in person for the first time this year. I put a lot of stock into seeing people in person because I am the body language doctor. I love to watch little different things that you can't pick up on. And I sat under the basket for Knicks Warriors. I got to see the Knicks for the first time this season. And the number one thing that stood out to me, that jumped out to me watching this team was the physicality. The New York Knicks are so physical. And they're going up against guys like Draymond Green, who's an extremely physical player. You're going up against Kevon Looney, who's an extremely physical player. Wiseman is a big dude. And Mitchell Robinson, and particularly Julius Randle, was so physical. I got to see him one half of the game. He was on the offensive side, getting in the paint, on the offensive boards, getting offensive boards, getting tip-ins, bullying his way down low, and getting those shots, those easy shots at the bucket. Incredible. And then on the defensive side, the way he's physical down low with other players, the way he's engaged on the defensive side, the way he's engaged in the pick and roll. I read an article from Ian Begley talking about how the biggest difference since the Knicks got the Knicks got blown out by Dallas, the biggest difference, what saved the Knicks season, at least for now, is what Julius Randle, his engagement. And by the way, I did notice his son and his wife are back at the games, which is a good thing. He's re-engaged with the crowd. He wants this bad. On every offensive possession, he keeps moving. He he moves the ball. He doesn't the ball doesn't stick to him. He doesn't care. He's sending setting screens and setting back screens for others. His chemistry with Julia with Jalen Brunson is phenomenal. And Julius Randle, his physicality, he's beating teams down right now. The Knicks are the only team in the NBA, and I think it's over the last seven or eight games, I guess, but they're the only team in the NBA to allow less than 100 points per 100 possessions. They are the only team allowing 99. It should have gone down because they allowed only 94 points in the game total last night per 100 possessions in the NBA. Uh, They're the only team to be doing that, and it starts with their physicality. They're rebounding. Mitchell Robinson is an incredible rebounder, and Julius Randle, just inf- he's been an enforcer, and what he's been able to do with Jalen Brunson is fantastic. Now, Jalen Brunson, Jalen Brunson, whenever the Knicks needed a bucket in this game, he went and got a bucket. He understands the ebbs and flows of the game. He's a thick dude. He knows how to use his body. He knows how to make defenders off balance by leaning into them, different things that he does. He is a fantastic point guard. He always puts guys in the perfect position. And by the way, the ball just didn't stop moving. When the Knicks were on offense, the ball just doesn't stop moving. And the fact that you have a shooter like Quentin Grimes starting and what Quentin Grimes adds, and he's out tonight against Toronto, but what he adds to this lineup is incredible. Quentin Grimes is defending the number one wing player on the other team. So he's basically, last night he was defending mostly Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson. Now he's a lot smaller than I realized. He's like much smaller, significantly smaller than Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson is a big, thick dude. Quentin Grimes is a slight guy. But he stretches the floor with his three-point shooting, which has been incredible. And he's a really, his, on catch and shoots, he's been one of the best shooters in the league over the last few weeks. His catch and shoot three-point ability has been fantastic. And he's confident. He shoots with confidence. He gets the ball. He releases it right away. But he's also good on the offense at moving around, at setting up other guys. He's a decent playmaker. He's good enough. But really what he does is stretches the floor, and he allows Brunson to get a break when Brunson's on the defensive side. He doesn't have to defend. He can go go hang out on the other wing player who's not as good or just whoever the other guy, the worst offensive player is, as long as it's not a big on the other team. That is who Brunson is defending because Quentin Grimes is taking the assignment of defending the number one. It's going to be tough tonight. I don't know. Is Brunson going to have to defend Van Fleet? And that could have that could really hurt 
the Knicks, but what Quentin Grimes, the reason they've been so successful with him in the lineup is one, the way he stretches the floor for Randall and Brunson. When Randall and Brunson are playing that two-man game and you have a guy, if you try and double-team either one of them, if you try and send help on the pick-and-roll with either one of them or the pick-and-roll with uh, with, uh, Mitchell Robinson... You have an open guy who can knock down every open catch-and-shoot three that he's getting. The Knicks are swinging the ball. The Knicks are moving the ball well. And that has looked really good, and that's what Grimes adds to this lineup. And then he also obviously adds the defensive side. He's an incredible lockdown defender. There was a possession in the game where the Knicks were closing out. They they were rotating so quickly that they were closing out on every shooter that eventually the Warriors just threw the ball out of bounds because after making pass after pass after pass, and they were swinging it. This is a Warriors team that moves the ball really well, but eventually... They forced a bad pass, and it went out of bounds, and that's because the Knicks rotating. The Knicks' engagement on the defensive side has been exceptional. We always talk about this with Tibbs, and I talked about this before I went to the game. The Tibbs fatigue, the things that happens with the Tibbs fatigue is that the team stopped playing for him. The team doesn't play as hard. One of the things that Tibbs brings is heart and energy and playing hard and defense. And what happens with the Tibbs fatigue, and we've seen this everywhere he's been, is the team just stops listening and stops being engaged. Well, this next team is re-engaged. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's their backs against the wall. Maybe it's Brunson and him and his attitude. But the team is re-engaged. And they are committed on the defensive side. They are committed on the offensive side to always be moving and always moving the ball. And it's turned the season around. The other thing that we always see with Tibbs, what happens is he's so stubborn and he sticks with the older guys. In last night's game, even at the end of the game, with the game winding down and it being a 40-point game almost, he didn't even put in Rose... Fournier or Reddish those guys are guys that he would have leaned heavily on and he didn't put them in so you think about the biggest difference between this team and the we hear empty gyms empty arenas four seed team that lost to the Hawks in five games that team the core that team that was winning games for the Knicks was Alec Burks Nerlens Noel Derek Rose Reggie Bullock Taj Gibson those are all older guys think about a main part of the core that's the main reason the Knicks have turned this around this year. Deuce McBride, Quentin Grimes, R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin. Those are young guys. These are guys who are contributing on a nightly basis. Jericho Sims was a huge contributor last night. Now the reason that the Knicks are winning the games, Emmanuel, quickly, don't forget about him. He was the leading scorer last night. They are the reason that they are winning is because of the young guys, and that's a huge bonus. That's a very big difference. So when you looked at that team and you're like, well, is Julius Randle really going to be the best player on your team on a championship-caliber team? No. Well, now you have a player that's better than him. I'm not saying they're a championship caliber team now. They're not. But you have a player that's better than him in Jalen Brunson, who's running the team. And the the core that you're building on, you're not building on a core of older guys that are just going to move on. You're building on a core that includes five or six really young guys who are actually coming along and actually developing really well. They've gotten better. Everyone talks about how Tibbs can't develop young guys. Well, he's developing these young guys, and they've gotten really good. The second unit also was stretching the floor. You talk about that also. You talk about McBride and you talk about quickly and what they've been able to do to stretch the floor. That's helped this team out tremendously as well. Also, another thing I noticed, there was a point in the third quarter and I, after the game, I saw this on Instagram. The Knicks posted like RJ was cooking in the third. RJ Barrett was incredible in the third quarter and it was when Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson were specifically off the floor. RJ Barrett went to work. He had the ability to have the ball in his hands, be surrounded with shooters or guys that he could throw a lob to and go to work. And that's when he's at his best. He moves at his own pace. He's methodical. He's strong. He's stronger than a lot of the guys who defend him. He get to his spot and then either shoot it, draw a foul 
or lob it up to a big guy or kick it out, be a little bit of a playmaker. He's actually really good running the second unit, not as a point guard necessarily. They don't have a true point guard who runs the second unit. A lot of times it's McBride. A lot of times it's Quickly. They're not true playmakers. Quickly didn't seem to want to pass all that much or set up the offense all that much. He definitely prefers to shoot. But when R.J. Barrett is running the offense and he can kick it out to McBride, he could kick it out to Obi in the corner, who's been a really good three-point shooter from the corner. He could, kick it, he could kick it out to Quickly. He could lob it up to Jericho Sims or even pass it to a guy like Hartenstein. He's actually really good running the offense, being in the middle of the offense in that second unit. That was really impressive. And when you're running a nine-man rotation, that's there's going to be someone who's playing uh, with that second unit. And it was Barrett last night, and he was really good at that. The other thing I noticed with the Knicks was the bench. The bench was very demonstrative at the end of the game when the, I guess, scrubs were in and they were hit a couple threes and they were playing well. The bench was going nuts, but those were mostly the starters. During the game, to the till, till that point, they weren't overreacting. They understand this is a game in December. It was almost businesslike. It was almost like we expect to win. They were all super engaged on the bench. They're all super into it, but they weren't like jumping up and down and going crazy like that Theo Pins and Knicks team. And maybe they needed a little bit more energy in the empty arenas, maybe. But they just felt like we're supposed to win. We're taking this seriously. And it feels like this is a team on a mission right now. So they're on a mission. Where's that mission to? Where's this going to lead this next team? So they could play out the rest of the season like this. I think, can they sustain this type of play? I really do think they can because at the end of the day, it comes down to effort. And if you're willing to continue to be unselfish on the offensive side and you're willing to move the ball and you're willing to have Brunson bail you out of a couple possessions and you're willing to have that two-man game with Brunson and Randall, then great. You can continue to do that on the offensive side. And on the defensive side, if you continue to play physically and you out-physical other teams and you out-rebound them, yeah, they can continue to this type of play the whole season. A guy like Deuce McBride, a guy like Quentin Grimes, those are playoff-type players. Defense and threes translate in the playoffs. Now, Brunson, a guy like him, we've seen him dominate in postseason games. We saw that, right, with the Mavericks. And like I said, with so much less on Randall's plate, with him not having to hold the ball and make everything happen through him on every possession on offense, he could just continue to contribute and be the guy that he's been over the last couple of weeks and be just a leader by example on the court and hustling on every single play. Can they keep that up? I hope so. I really do hope so. But you know this team is not winning a championship like this, and probably not even going to win a playoff series with that. So where do you go from here? What's the move? I think you continue to play it out. The The one key factor is that you're developing the younger guy. So you have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose by continuing to play and just waiting till you have someone else becomes available, a superstar, whether it's in free agency or via the trade market. And we know that these superstars always become available. And you make a trade. Now, there's one thing that you can do in between, and this is something that I heard from Bill Simmons mentioned on his podcast, that the Bulls are probably going to blow it up. And I don't want Zach Levine. Trust me, I don't want Zach Levine. Um, But what's interesting is not Zach Levine, but DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan, to take on his contract and what the Bulls would require is not a major trade. They wouldn't need huge assets back. They would basically need you to trade Reddish, Fournier, and Rose, who, like I mentioned, aren't even getting in games in garbage time, and probably a couple of the Knicks picks that they have that are not their picks, but they have a few protected picks. I think one from Washington, one from Dallas. They have a couple of protected picks out there that they can flip. 
So not even touching their own seven first-round picks that they have for the next seven years. So not jeopardizing anything that they could do in the future. Not giving up Grimes or McBride or Quickly or Barrett or Obi Toppin. Keep all those guys, and still you can make a move that improves your team today, doesn't mess with any of the chemistry, and doesn't ruin what you've been building with this young core, and still allows you to be flexible to make a move down the road. And DeMar DeRozan would be that guy. He's just another guy who can be a scorer in a playoff series who can have the ball in his hands, and he also plays hard defense. He plays hard. He's He would be a Tibbs-type player. Um, now, what that would mean, what that would mean, you have to keep Grimes in the offensive uh, game. You have to keep him in the starting five. We talked about how much he means to the starting five. But I also talked about how much R.J. Barrett has meant to the second unit and how good he looked last night, specifically with the second unit. It would be really fun if they put RJ as the sixth man, look at Tyler Hero, look at Jordan Clarkson and say, those guys, look, they are second unit guys. Those are guys who come in and get points off the bench. RJ Barrett, you could play 25, 30 minutes a night, but it'll be off the bench and you'll be a key part of what we do on this team. If you can get RJ Barrett to buy into that role, he struggled a little bit this season. He's been better of late. If he can buy into that role, this team with DeRozan could be extremely good. Then you're talking about having another guy who can just score, create his own shot, and you also have the Brunson and Randall connection. You're not losing anything by stretching the floor still with Grimes and obviously the lob game with Mitchell Robinson. And then the bench unit is that unit, that exact unit I talked about with Quickly and McBride stretching the floor. You have Ovi in the corner who can also make some incredibly athletic plays. You still have Sims and Hartenstein, the two, one of the two of them, at the center position, and you have Barrett in the middle running that offense. That would be extremely fun to watch, and I don't think it ruins the chemistry. That would be cool for the Knicks to do that, and it still leaves them flexible beyond this season. The main thing is you got to keep the chemistry. you got to keep building on it. You can't relax now. The real season starts in January. The real season starts Christmas Day. The Knicks have a huge opponent at home on Christmas Day against the Sixers. We'll see what they do then, and if the Knicks can keep riding this, this would be an extremely fun Knicks season. I do like that the Knicks crowd, the Knicks fans aren't overreacting. They're not getting overexcited like they did after one win against Boston last year. It's funny. The Knicks fans got so much hate for you know having that one win and overreacting to it. Well, you're not getting hate anymore for this one win, but now you're not getting the credit for not reacting this way, not overreacting. And that's true. You don't deserve to get quote-unquote credit for not overreacting uh, when the Knicks are playing decently well. But I actually like how this fan and how the fan base is handling this. I think this could actually grow into something really long-term and positive for this Knicks organization. And I'm really excited about this team. Last thing, the Yankees introduced Aaron Judge, named him captain. It was cool. I love having Derek Jeter around. Having Derek Jeter around, though, also reminds me and makes me sad that there is no Derek Jeter, and I, the more, the further removed we get from Derek Jeter's career, the more I appreciate how incredible it was to have a player who, just his demeanor and the way he is, and the perfect captain and the perfect player to root for in sports. I, I loved having Derek Jeter, and I miss Derek Jeter as a sports fan. That said, it's cool, it's great, Aaron Judge is the captain, he's extremely deserving, and I hope, hopefully, they can win uh, the story with Hal Steinbrenner calling him directly and saying, do you want to be a Yankee? And everything Jeter said at the press conference, or rather not Jeter, but everything Judge said at the press conference, of course, Jeter said all the right things as well. But everything that Judge said at the press conference about how we want to make a couple more moves, we want to you know, make this happen, they're going to introduce Rodon tomorrow. But it was all seemingly insignificant on the same day that the Mets just made one of the most mind-boggling things. I, was, I had just gotten home, like I mentioned earlier in the episode from New York, and I was still awake. And I see on my phone, I see it was actually a meme that said, 
I feel for Giant fans, something like that, or it's like Giant fans must be in shambles right now. And it was a picture of Aaron Judge photoshopped into a Giants uniform, and it was a picture of Carlos Correa photoshopped into a Giants uniform. And I was like, what happened? And I look, I scroll the rest of Twitter, and I see Carlos Correa at 2.39 in the morning has signed with the Mets. Obviously, he had a deal in place and had his press conference scheduled with the, new, with the San Francisco Giants. And then, of course, it gets called back. Uh, they, they cancel it because of a physical issue that there seemed to be and well I don't know what the physical issue is but Scott Boris called up his buddy Steve Cohen and said hey the Giants are kind of getting cold feet what do you want to do about this and Steve's like I'll take him 35 million dollars less one year less sure I'll take him and they get Carlos Correa they don't need they didn't need Carlos Correa they already had an incredible offseason where the team improved I think substantially over the last year's team and yet they went out and they got him now does this mean that they're going to win a World Series? No. But still, they're the big brother in New York now. They went and they spent $400 million, right? Four, they're going to have a $400 million payroll this season. You got a guy who was one of the best available players at the position that you already have $300 plus million committed to in one of the best players at that position. And you're just going to move him over to third base, kind of like the Yankees did with A-Rod and Jeter. Like, that is how good the Mets are right now. And if his career ends in two years with a chronic back injury, guess what? Steve Cohen's going to go out and spend the money on someone else. It doesn't matter. Steve Cohen is that committed to winning. It was the statement. More than anything else, it was the statement that the Mets made. And so when I wrote on Twitter that they're the big brother now in New York and the, the only way the Yankees can fix this, if they go into the season with Josh Donaldson and Aaron Hicks still starting for this team, you're the little brother. I'm sorry. The Mets had a, a guy at third base who's one of the top prospects in baseball coming up. The Yankees haven't been willing to address shortstop because they talk about this prospect. We haven't seen these prospects yet. The Mets have a guy who's already in the major leagues and ready to play third base. And yet still they went out and got a guy on a 12 year, $315 million deal to play third base for them just because they felt like it just because it was available to them. The Yankees are so far away from that. And Met fans, by the way, all you Met fans who my whole life said, oh, you can't buy championships. How does it feel? The parade doesn't feel any different. You can buy championships. It works. It feels the same. And so congrats to the Mets. The Yankees, I don't know what they're going to do. But if you, like I said, it is embarrassing if they go into the season with Josh Donaldson and IKF and Aaron Hicks. It would just be completely an embarrassment. This team is not better today. Yes, they got Rodon. That was good. But this team is not better today than they were when the season ended. And that's not a great thing. Aaron Judge is a great contract. I'm glad they brought him back. I'm glad they brought Rizzo back. They'll announce Rodon tomorrow. But as far as I'm concerned, the Yankees took a step back. And the real big boys in town, the real big brother in town, is now the New York Mets until the Yankees can prove otherwise. All right, that's going to do it for the episode. As always, thank you so very much for listening. I appreciate it. Hopefully, we'll have another episode on Friday with all the picks for the games. A huge slate of games on Saturday in the NFL this week, and then three Sunday games, and then a Monday night football game. So, a weird week because it's Christmas weekend in the NFL. Um, and we'll talk to you hopefully soon about all those games in the NFL. Of course, until next time, please like, subscribe, share the podcast, rate and review it. Uh, I appreciate every single one of you guys. See ya. You. With the best nights of my life You got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when 
in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it all oh, oh, Always on my road, I'm still New York Walks burning, we pray for rain in July. I want the Yankees 99, yeah. and the Knicks yeah. on a sold out night. When the curtains close and the Broadway streets are alive, hey. I need your heartbeat close, don't you ever leave me. And I breathe your air when I land in another city. And I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones. I'm still here. 